So here we are here at the global state uh, of tobacco harm reduction, yeah. right? What is the report uh, this year? Um, well, fighting the last war, I think, is the, the first real analysis that I'm aware of that looks at um, the Framework Convention and, and in terms of its limitations. I mean, I guess people are quite used to hearing that well, we still need to do a lot more in reducing smoking. Um, but I don't think there's been much in the way of critical analysis of maybe the way that things are being led at a global way actually aren't really contributing to what could be achieved. Is that a polite way of saying that that FCTC is not achieving a mandate? I, I, I think, um, bluntly, yes. Um, I think there's um, tricks that have been missed. I guess, uh, as someone who's a relatively recent convert, really, in some ways, to tobacco harm reduction. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, my, my, my personal background is around drug and alcohol policy. Um, and I think in any of the illegal drugs or in alcohol, if someone came out with something that was so much remarkably safer compared to, you know, bottle of gin or um, heroin or cocaine, you know, the equivalent we've got with some of the tobacco harm reduction products, um, I, I, I think we'd dance a jig in the streets and be delighted. I think, you know, the potential's huge. We'd welcome that. I still find it slightly odd that when it comes to the smoking cessation world, even people who accept that there's benefits, perhaps, uh, you know, if people switch to vaping or use snooze, it's all very wearing. It's all, well, yeah, kind of, it's better, but there's no celebratory angle. There's no, I guess, realisation or about, you know, the potential. And, th and this is stuff that can be delivered in quite quick time. So let me ask you, your history then is with uh, to drug harm reduction. Yeah. So do you get a sense that potentially those from, say, the drug harm reduction world, those in public health that might accept drug harm reduction, don't consider tobacco harm reduction a legitimate application of the theory and practice. I think in certain quarters, you're right, um, and the sort of more senior policy-led positions, I think people are very doubtful. I think a lot of the history of that goes back to, you know, big tobacco and, you know, the, 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 the issues that the tobacco industry created for itself. I think when you get to a lower level, people who are working on the front line with people who may have heroin problems and a vast percentage of them smoke, then they're far more focused on the immediate pragmatic benefits and you know, you would see in a lot of drug services now, there's a lot of interest in the potential of switching people from smoking to vaping. Our homeless rough sleeping services are really very keen on this now. You know, they're populations where 75% plus smoke, um, and often cigarettes that they make out of other people's butts. I mean, you know, this is nasty stuff. So they're very much more open to it because they see the immediate benefits. Man, it just seems to be very frustrating that people don't see this as valid in terms of harm reduction. And let me bring this up from the general public point of view. They may also uh, be predisposed to think that harm reduction is about heroin and harder drugs, and they, they might have a hard time connecting this concept of harm reduction with smoking. Ah, come on, why don't they just quit? I, th I think that's true, although if you go back and look at the drugs field, lots of people um, on first blush when you talk to them say, well, people shouldn't do this. You know, it's 
you know, the world of bad choices. People shouldn't make that decision, they should be like me. Um, in my experience, you develop the conversation and most people get to the point, well, yeah, sometimes people do make bad decisions, but if we can help improve their lives and those around them, then we should support that. Uh, and, you know, there's an argument that's been advanced today, which I think would resonate with a lot of uh, the general public. Some people might think, well, why should I pay for a methadone uh, programme? You know, these people have made bad decisions. We're not asking the taxpayer to find money for a lot of this. We're just asking, really, for a, a regulatory structure that allows this to happen naturally. It doesn't need multi-million pound drug programmes. You know, and I've been involved in getting hundreds of millions of pounds out of the Treasury, and it's been wonderful, and I've enjoyed helping spend it. But, you know, that's not the ballpark we're in for this. It's a very different thing. So we're, 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 we're not really asking that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be done around educating the public. There is still a huge amount of ignorance around the difference between nicotine and smoking. So yeah, it's a big education task there. Could there be a win uh, if you could get more allies from the drug side of things to jump on to this? I mean, we see Ethan Nadelman, he's made a big impact now on tobacco harm reduction in just a short period of time, and he's brought bringing his knowledge from the drug side. Do we need more of that? I, I think there is there. I mean, the, the concept of harm reduction is well embedded uh, within people who work in drug services, within, you know, public health generally. Um, I think there is... A, a lot of work that we can do to bring allies across. It is a different field. I think can never underestimate the worry about, oh, there's a link to big tobacco. Uh, but that's a barrier we've got to overcome. And I, I Why think is that such a bad thing, though? I mean, it, they're not the, are they the most evil in the world of company? It, it, it's interesting to consider that, because if I think, you know, I, I've organized dozens of drug conferences over the years. No one's ever criticised me for putting up a former drug user or drug dealer. I mean, you know, often that will be all oh, a bit of interest in that. You know, there would be outrage that you put someone up there from one of the tobacco companies to talk about what they were doing to try to reduce the harm their products cause. Um, so in some ways, yeah, I mean, it is, it is the, the nastiest industry. It's, it's, it is in some ways worse. And, and I think there's a history there. You can kind of understand it to an extent. Um, but it's rather odd in the end, because there's some pretty bad people out there. I mean, they seem to saddle up to Castro okay. Um, I, 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 I guess my particular take on this is that they lose sight of the victim. And if you concentrate on the people who, well, not, the, not necessarily the victim, the people who've got most to gain individually, from tobacco harm reduction. You know, the people who are certainly in the UK, a lot of uh, Western societies, you know, it's people at the bottom of the pile economically or people with mental health issues, substance misuse issues. Um, if you looked at what it could achieve and the benefits for that group, you know, and get over, you know, shareholder value and the impacts on big companies, I'm not asking you to like them. Well, you know, I think, I think it's perfectly legitimate maybe to, you know, have doubts about big corporations um, but the evidence is very strong about the benefits for the people that you know if you're in public health that's surely where your focus is at and it's stuff that we can do and you you can do it tomorrow you know a lot of it is just getting over 
very significant, but they're conceptual barriers. Um, yeah. You made the comment that, uh, you know, you've spent, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds from the Treasury and happy to do that and so forth. Um, because in a way, the e-cigarette revolution, if you want to call it that, the, the language is that it's consumer-led. But let's talk about it. It's small entrepreneurial companies, generally. These are, these are ways for people to, uh, they've created jobs. They've created biz, small businesses. They've created product. They, they believe those that work at, say, retail vaping shops, that they are on the front lines of saving people's lives. None of the government's not involved in any of it. And in fact, for most people who quit smoking through vaping, they've done that and they've saved money. Yep, absolutely. Um, it, it's a big win. Um, and there is something, and I've seen it firsthand with people who have, you know, very proud of the fact that they've stopped smoking. And, you know, these are people who did have opiate issues, actually. But this was something they had done. You know, they had stopped smoking, in some cases actually given up, but in other cases had switched. And that sense of agency they'd got. And these were also people, you know, that were saving themselves, you know, 25, 30 pounds a week straight off. These are people that means a lot of money to. You know, that, that was a big, and they were really proud. And, you know, I think there's, there's a lot we could do around harnessing that for people. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I was quite, I had quite the professional drinking career. <laughs> so I made a good business out of it. And uh, when I quit 10 years ago, you know, I had been smoking already at that time for 20 years, uh, you know, pretty much. And there was no way I was going to go at all tackle the smoking issue until I put some time sobriety because it was more, it was harder to quit smoking in my mind. It was more fearful mm -hmm. to quit smoking in my mind than it was to give up the bottle. And so sure enough, you know, I did. I put a couple of years of sobriety under my belt before I went to the quit smoking. And I know other people have said that too as well, is that, geez, you know, quitting, quitting other things is, is a little easier than quitting smoking. I, th I think it can be true, and obviously it changes people uh, case to case. Um, there's some interesting evidence around, and I've mentioned rough sleeping populations, when there was work being done to look at their desire, their wish to quit, it pretty much matches up to the rest of the population. Uh, and actually we've sort of had a, an enforced real-life experiment uh, in a lot of countries um, over the pandemic where people were being brought in off the street, big issues, you know, about we can't have them smoking in hotel rooms. Um, and actually a lot of them have transitioned really quickly with actual minimal support. Uh, the certain products work really quickly for them. And that's been a big gain that's happened, you know, we never did anything on that scale till we had to. Um, relatively cheap to do. Um, I mean, that is something, you know, they weren't necessarily funding their own kit. They were being given things. But, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of things, pennies, pennies. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, if I go back, you know, I talk about my experience in being involved in drug services. There was always people have got to be right at the end of their recovery journey or whatever. And I think for some people actually, they can do it at any time, and certainly we should be open to the offer of support at any time. And but we, we shouldn't be mandating what you've got to do. You know, uh, certainly the services I've been involved in, they don't say you must stop drinking. We'll help you stop drinking, and we'll support you. But you know, you haven't got to stop on Thursday, and you don't need to stop smoking Friday. Um, but the, I think one of the learning experiences for me was that actually sometimes people would surprise you. They'd stop smoking earlier. Um, and particularly if I think of 
again, real cases, anecdotes, but people who had children. You know, oh, my, my kids say, you know, well, my kids like giving me a cuddle because I don't smell like an ashtray anymore. You know, that's a very quick, immediate thing. People have probably got very difficult relationships, to be honest, with their family, a lot of guilt. That's a, that's, a, that's a good, solid win. I was going to say a quick win. It's not a quick win, it's a good win. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, self-confidence and examples that you're setting, you know, with your family when you quit smoking. And if you've got bad relationships, you know, could go a long way to help softening that. I really like that. Let me ask you this. So with all of this in mind, what does fighting the last war mean? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I guess... Um, I'm a bit of a historian by personal interest. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a clear uh, allusion to the First World War, and you know, the military in a lot of countries have been criticised for being prepared to fight the last war rather than what's before them. Um, international smoking control, traditional methods, got us so far. You know, smoking rates in most of the developed world come down massively. This is a good thing. We've now got here to sort of the 15% of the population it's stalling. They're also a very different population. Uh, if I go back to rough sleepers, most of these people aren't buying their cigarettes. You know, they are hanging around London Underground stations, picking up other people's butts and rolling cigarettes from that. They're not particularly sensitive to another 10p on a packet of cigarettes or whatever tax increase you put in. We need to think of other approaches. Um, and, and I guess there's a social justice argument there for me, you know, that the, you know, the low-hanging fruit's been plucked, okay, and that worked for that, but we need to embrace the opportunities that tobacco harm reduction provides to reach the others, and there's a strong social justice argument there, because um, we, we can do it, and, you know, actually, an awful lot of it comes down to just improving the information flow, and another phrase that I've heard a lot um, today, um, nicotine literacy. You know, those of us in North America spend a lot of time uh, idealizing, you know, the UK because of Public Health England and mm -hmm. what is a very, you know, benevolent uh, approach to vaping. But is it truly that? Here you are in the UK and it sounds like you guys have quite the fight here still. There's certainly, I mean, Public Health England and people within Public Health England, well, it's now split up and called various... Uh, two separate organisations. Is that official? Is it now? Yes, it's yeah, totally yeah. no longer public yeah, health. There, there is no public health England as such now. But they did do some great work and they did provide a platform which has enabled a lot of good things to happen. Uh, but there's still, uh, in a lot of the public health establishment, uh, much of which sits outside public health England, um, a great reluctance as a, you know, to embrace the potential, that's the thing, you know, it's all a bit, a lot of it's very grudging. Well, yeah, it's better if they do that and if they smoke, but oh, I don't really, you know. It's a fantastic thing to switch some, someone from smoking. Yeah, um, it might not be, and you should always, you know, offer cessation's great, but for an awful lot of people, that's gonna be too much in one step or it's not gonna work. We could be far more positive about helping people in that journey. Um, but I think, you know, looking around the world, we have been quite fortunate here. Uh, that, that Some of, you know, the credit belongs to some people who've done a lot of work to do that, to produce that environment. But yeah, sure, there's, there's a lot more 
that could be done here. We, we still have lots of doctors that think nicotine give you cancer. Well, and on that, the last point for me, I guess personally, is that, you know, I've got no problem with nurturing my little nicotine habit. Well, get out of my way. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess this is something that, you know, links very much to the, the drugs field. And we've had arguments about, you know, abstinence, you know, is so much better than maintenance programs or whatever. But, you know, when it comes down to it, really, I think for a lot of us, it's people's social functioning. You know, is their health being protected? Have we improved their health? Are they able to live useful, productive lives? And clearly, none of the safer nicotine products impact in having a healthier, productive life. So, and we should celebrate that.